Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today. I trust that you have been tuning in every week and enjoying what we're sharing from the Gospel of John. We are in the middle of a series that we've been teaching uh, that I think should bless every believer that will take the time to go back and look at this because we are really digging deep into some concepts that are brand new and fresh even to me as I've dug around in this book. It has just been so enlightening to me and so life-giving. Let me introduce this again by simply saying that the Gospel of John, John writes in about the 20th chapter, and he literally capsulizes in just one verse the purpose of his writings, and he says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you would have life through His name. And so what I've begun to do is layer by layer begin to show you that all the things that Jesus does and the signs and the wonders and the miracles were yes, in fact, historically documented that Jesus did those things, but they were also powerful signposts to someone especially who would have been a first century Jew should have recognized a lot of the things that Jesus was doing and should have said, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ that we've been waiting to come. But because He didn't show up to meet their preconceived ideas of how they thought it would look, they missed His coming the first time. I wonder sometimes how much people today are missing the present reality of God's kingdom and the Jesus who now lives and, remind, and, and resides among us, the Emmanuel, the God with us, we are so asphyxiated sometimes, I think, on what we think as a coming Jesus, that we miss the one that's right here, right now, and presently ruling and reigning and living inside of us and is among us. It is the mystery that was hid from ages, which is Christ in and among all of you, the hope of glory. And the purpose of this book, as he goes on to say, was that believing you would have life through His name. Now, let me say to you that I, I, what I've, I've begun to do is show you different signposts. I did a series called The Seven I Am's of Jesus, where He said seven times, I am. And every time He would do that, He would say it in contrast to, for instance, we're going to get to this one a little bit later on, even in as we go through this chapter by chapter. But He feeds, if you will, when He does the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. He takes a multitude right after the feast of Passover. They cross a sea and they go into the wilderness and He feeds them with bread that He breaks and blesses and gives to them. You could look at that and see the powerful picture there. We preach cute little sermons. I'm not against this. Well, we pull it out and say, well, God can provide for us no matter what. And that's powerfully there. I'm not taking anything from that. But there's much bigger revelation in this chapter. What that should have said to an Israelite who knew the stories of the Exodus and the wilderness journey, that it should have joggled something in their memory that said, wait a minute, I remember another Passover 
When Moses led the children of Israel across the sea and into the wilderness, and God gave us bread from heaven, and now we have Jesus, the leader of another exodus. He's leading them out of a different kind of Egypt, across a sea and into a wilderness, and He feeds them with the bread. He feeds the multitude. And when He feeds the multitude, they have the audacity to say, what shine do you show us? What sign do you show us? I think Jesus probably went, duh, but this is what He says. He probably didn't say duh, but that's, my, that's, that's how I see it. He said, should have dawned on Him, but duh. And Jesus, in that context, after He feeds the 5,000, makes this very quote that should have, they, if they didn't juggle their memory already, His quote should have made them think of the wilderness journey because He said, when they said, show us, right after He does the miracle of the five loaves and two fishes, feeds the multitudes in the wilderness, after a Passover, after crossing the sea, He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. He says that right after they say, show us a sign. He does a, a miracle at the wedding of Cana. That was a sign. It was a type and a picture of His wedding. I'm not going to go back and rehearse it because I've went over it so many chapters prior to this. He takes them to the temple and shows them, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back again. And, and, and He begins to speak in terms of spiritual understanding and not just natural understanding, because they think He's talking about the natural building, and He spoke concerning the temple of His body because He's really saying to them, this is not the temple, I'm the true temple of God, I'm the true house of God, for from henceforth you will see the angels of God ascend and descend on the Son of Man. That's what happened at Bethel when uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel and he called the place Bethel. He said, this is none other than the house of God. Jesus uses that very quote because He is the true house of God. He comes to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John and says, you must be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, your natural birth and your natural genealogy is not enough. There's a new birth that brings you into the kingdom and it's spiritual. He comes to the Samaritan woman, and she's a picture of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles believe, having never seen a sign, and we really dealt with that the last uh, message we did last week on last week's program. You can go back and let me just say this before I go on. If you have missed any of these programs, you can go back to my YouTube channel and watch them. They are there archived for your uh, in enjoyment. Also, there is an RSS feed and an Android uh, Android feed, and there is also a iTunes uh, feed that gives you the audio portions of it. All of that is easy to get to by going to my website at lenhouse.com and tapping on the link, and everything we've aired to date is archived on one of those three places. So you can go back and review and rehearse and study what I'm saying. But the Samaritan woman was a picture of the Gentiles who when John chapter 4 verse 28, she left her water pot and she said, is this, come see a man. Let me just read it to you, John 4, 28, 4 verse 20. The woman left, then left her water pot, went her way into the city and saith unto the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? So they went out of the city and came unto him. And the meanwhile, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat, he said uh, uh, unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish the work. 
say not yet there are four months, then comes the harvest. I'm going to skip on down to uh, verse number 39. It said, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all things ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now I think it's incredible that the Jews continue to seek for signs. And he tells them in this text, and I really dealt with this last week, no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. These Samaritans, having never seen a sign or a miracle, become believers and they know He is in fact the Christ who is not just the Savior of Israel. He is the Savior of the world, and that they were the ones who were going to believe. And, and what I see so powerfully pictured here is that Jesus comes down, then and there, there's a nobleman that comes down who needs his son to be healed. Jesus comes back to Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water into wine, where they'd already seen a miracle. And Jesus said unto them, uh, verse number 47, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And, and so the nobleman said, Sir, come down, lest my child die. And so Jesus goes on down, and, and in Matthew 12 he says, that the Jews seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah was the fact that Jonah, whose name means a dove, picture of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the dove landed on Jesus, and it said, even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart or the belly of the fish, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? He came to preach to a Gentile nation to repent, and they repented. And as I read it to you last week, that, that the, the whole book of Jonah is kind of like a parable or a picture of the Jews who were post-exilic. They had come out of exile from Babylon, but were about to carry back into captivity because they would not receive the gospel message and repent. But the Gentiles, the Ninevites, received it, and they received the message. And so what's the picture here? Here's the parallel. Jesus is coming to Samaritans. He's coming to Gentile nations. He's saying to them, listen, I preached the word, and these people simply believe you guys got to keep on having a sign, but the only sign that's going to be given to you is the sign of Jonah. And the three days and the three nights we dealt with last week are the three days and three nights of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, they, they, and even though they saw Jesus raised from the dead, they still did not believe. And God said, all right, that's enough. I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And He calls Saul of Tarsus, who becomes one of the greatest apostles to the Gentiles that ever walked the planet, because the Gentiles were receiving this gospel message of salvation, and they were doing exactly what John's gospel was intended to do, and that is that believing you would have life through His name. And I think it's ironic that he even uses the whole concept here about 
about Samaritans. Now let me just, uh, you know, because I've dealt a lot with the whole idea of Jonah here. And I dealt a lot with the whole three days and three nights. So I want to go back and I want to look at something here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. This is the story of the Samaritan. Once again, we're talking about Samaritans. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now let me just first of all say that inheritance is not something you earn. It is something that someone gives you or bequeaths to you. And so what he's asking is, what must I do? In other words, how can I earn eternal life? Well, first of all, you don't earn eternal life. It's given as a free gift. It is bequeathed upon you. And when someone gives you something in their will, it's usually after they die. It's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you and I receive this great, incredible inheritance. But here's something that I think is vitally important. I had a leader recently asked me, how do, you, uh, how do you tell people to approach the Gospels? Well, first of all, you've got to realize the Gospels were written, first of all, primarily to a Jewish audience, especially the Gospel of Matthew, but it was written to a Jewish audience who was still under the law. Jesus was made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Now let me say to you that while he's under the law and they are asking Jesus, what do I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? He's going to tell them, okay, if you want to earn it, here's what you got to do. But I'm glad that we don't have to earn it any longer, that all we have to, in the new covenant is to believe on Him whom He has sent. This is life eternal, that you would believe on the Father and the Son. In other words, that's what life eternal is, is a relationship with the Father and the Son. And I would say this as well to you, and this is a, to me a pivotal concept. Eternal life includes going to heaven when you die. Let me say that up front. I'm going to say it again. I believe that eternal life includes going to heaven when you die. But eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins the moment you're born again. It begins the moment of new birth into new creation. Now let me say this as well. I heard a, a, a well-known Bible scholar teach this, and he quoted when he when he, he read this scripture. The lawyer said, "What what must I do to inherit?" And he quoted a translation that said, "What must I do to inherit the life of the coming age?" Because the word eternal here is aeonian, or the life of the coming age. Now, in light of what I'm sharing about the new covenant, the coming age was not some future distant thing out here, let's say in the year 2010 or whatever. The coming age was upon this first century Jews. First Corinthians 10 said they were the people upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages, plural, had come. They were at the end of the old covenant age and the beginning of the new covenant age. It was the ends of the ages had come upon this generation and it was the end of the old covenant age, it was the end of the Mosaic covenant, it was the last days of this old covenant that will help you understand so much stuff. And, and it will bring you in such understanding. I don't want to chase that rabbit right now. But he said, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? The life of the, Jesus said this is life eternal, that you would know God the Father and the Son. So that eternal life is more than just your ticket to heaven. While it includes that, he was offering them life lived in the context of sonship 
in contrast to living life as a slave under the old covenant, now you're going to live life in this new covenant where he includes both Jew and Gentile. And so this man is asking Jesus then, what must I do? He's under the law asking Jesus what I need to do. And Jesus said to him, okay, what's written in your law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. But this lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered, said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. I want you to see that it's Levites and priests and Jews that are passing by this man who's left bleeding and dying by thieves on a Jericho road. They passed by on the other side. Because see, what Old Covenant can do is point out your problem, but it doesn't have any remedy. They usually leave you bleeding and dying in the same condition they found you in. Likewise, a Levite had arrived at the place and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, I want you to note this is a Samaritan, as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again I will repay you. So which of these two do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now what I want you to see is, Jesus is trying to show even this lawyer who thinks he's going to get in through performance-based Christianity. First of all, he's asking him, what must I do? And so this, uh, this, this, this lawyer says to Jesus, willing to justify himself, who's my neighbor? Because in the eyes of these Jewish people, these Samaritans were a hated bunch of people. They were like outside, they were outsiders, not included in the covenants of promise. And what Jesus is telling them is, you've got to love people who are not of your same group. I think one of the great points I made when I taught about the first part of the Samaritan woman is, I must needs go through Samaria. Is that Jesus is trying to point out to, I'm including people who you didn't think was included. Not to leave them in the condition He finds them in. See, here's the thing that I want to say about including people. I believe Jesus includes everybody. I, I believe He includes sinners, saints, includes the insider, the outsider, the Jew, the Gentile, the straight, the gay, the lesbian, the drunkard, the alcoholic, the drug addict. But He doesn't include us to leave us in that condition. He includes us to bring us to an end where He can heal our wounds, because most people do what they do because of something that has affected them in some way or the other, and we are all broken in some form or the other, and I am thankful that He would say whatever it cost to make you better, I'm willing to pay the price. I feel like I'm really talking to somebody today, 
and that is that He's not there to reject you. See, what religion does is it leaves you bleeding and dying. It crosses the street to the other side because it doesn't want to receive or find, it, it doesn't have time for people with real problems. See, the gospel is not just to holy folks. It's to saint and sinner alike, where whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. That's the idea here that he's declaring is that you can come and drink of, of a water that will satisfy you. And so he's saying, listen, I, I think the thieves here are uh, that left him bleeding and dying. I, I, I did this in another series, but in John 10 he said, uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. And what I began to show in that series that I taught before on the seven I am's of Jesus is that the, 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 that the thief of John 10 is not the devil. The thief of John 10 and verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Verse 8, are not all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but I am the door into the sheepfold. And the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. The thief of John 10 is when you think there's some other way into the sheepfold than through the door, which is Jesus. And that way that was being offered that seemed right to a man was the way through the law of performance and through the old covenant. But that's not the way, and that's what Jesus was saying is, that's not the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the door. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, and they left you empty and bleeding and dying and life running out of you. I'm talking to somebody today who's been in church your whole life, and you are bleeding to death. Life has been running out of you, and something inside of you says, listen, there's got to be more to this than this rule-keeping rituals of never this religious treadmill where I'm never good enough. And maybe I've been rejected by Levites and by priests that walk to the other side of the road, but one day a Samaritan by the name of Jesus came and put oil and wine in my wounds. And Man, there's so much that could be said here, but oil and wine are symbols of things that are in Zion. There's oil and wine in Zion. Zion in the New Covenant is a picture of the, uh, is a picture of the New Covenant. Hebrews, the 12th chapter says, you didn't come to Mount Sinai. That's the Old Covenant. But you have come to Mount Zion. That's the New Covenant. He pours in oil and wine, New Covenant stuff, and he does it. And it comes through, if you will, it comes from a Samaritan. And I, I want to just say this to you as well. For, let, me, let me see if I can find this for you. John, I think it's John 8, 48. I think it's where the Jews call Jesus a Samaritan. John, uh, John chapter, let me, let me find it, pull it up quickly. John 8, I think it's verse 45 here. Let me see here if, I, if that's what it is. And, and verse, uh, uh, well, verse number 37, I'll start there. This is John 8. It says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen my father, and you do what you've seen your father. They answered said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. 
you do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He, he who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, do not, you do not hear because you are not of God. Before Abraham was, I am. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They called Jesus a Samaritan. Now, I want you to see here that this Pharisee is saying, who is my neighbor? Because he knows that if you're going to enter into the life of the coming age or eternal life, you've got to love your neighbor. But he's looking for the legal loopholes, and he's saying, who is my neighbor? Except what they're going to find out is that the neighbor that they have to love is the Samaritan. Now, first of all, the Samaritan they have to love with all their heart is Jesus. And so he's putting them in a place where he's talking, he's literally talking about something that would uh, happen here where he would say, you're of your father, the devil. But while you think I'm a Samaritan, you need to love me. But here's the second thing I want you to see. The scripture also brings the idea of worship to another level when it says this, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that you have ought against your brother, go be re reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, you think your worship while you sit in the temple in your pious religious systems doing all your sacrifices and rituals, and you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor whom you have seen, how does the love of God dwell inside of you? What he's doing is bringing worship to another level where it's not just, if you will, vertical, but it's horizontal. It's how you treat other people. Because, see, worship to me is not just standing in the temple giving God praise, and I believe in that. It is being image bearers in the earth because the highest form of worship you can have is to become like what you're beholding. So when we in our time of worship and prayer behold the face of our Father, that's what we're to do is behold Him and they'll be, then become image bearers to His creation that the world can see the love of God sent forth to pour in oil and wine to a Samaritan nation, a people that you don't think is worthy that God is saying whatever it costs to make you better, I have paid the price for, and you are included in the covenants of promise. That's what the story of the woman at the well is, is about. I've not exhausted this, but I'm going to have to move on to something probably a little bit further. Thank you for joining us. I pray that you could join us in partnership in helping us take the gospel around the world. If you'd like to do that, call the number on the screen. Somebody will take your call. There's also a way to text to give that will be on the screen. You can go to my website. It's very easy to go to my website, and it's right there on the screen. Just tap on that, and there's a place you can give via credit card, MasterCard, Visa, all of those things. You can actually sign up for a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will be on the screen. We thank you for that. God bless you for joining us again this week. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.